0: In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, Lord, we ask your blessing on our efforts again this evening as we do each time we begin a discussion of Holy Scripture. It is your Spirit that sort of empowered it to inspire us with the truth, with really understanding all of what is in the uh, Scriptures and what they mean. Unfortunately, it is for us to kind of dig out what all that is about. And I'm sure that tonight we're going to have a lot of questions, such as, what in the world is Paul talking about? But nevertheless, we ask your blessing on our efforts. And we thank you for this time together, and we thank you, as always, in all things, in Jesus' name. So we want to thank everyone for coming out again on such a lovely night. At least it's a little bit cooler tonight than it has been. Uh, so that works out well. I'd like to get right into uh, the letter to the Galatians. Because there's an awful lot of detail, as I'm sure you've already found out. Uh, is there any questions in the introduction or about the introduction that uh, you would like to discuss before we get into the letter itself no one has any uh great qualms about uh the about the introduction here all right Let's get into the letter itself. But before we start. With the, the actual words and details. I want to set the scene. Because it is only when you can put. Paul into the right context. Can you really understand what he's. Raving about because he is in a way. Raving. Uh, He is very angry. But let's put it this way. As you know, Paul spent many years traveling throughout the Mideast and the eastern part of Europe establishing little church houses or house churches, I should say. Uh, These were not buildings like we have Next door here. They were not organized parishes. They were little groups here and there. But they were on fire for Christ once they picked it up and were explained and told about it. Remember this area was covered by the Hellenistic influence that we went into last time. The Greek culture. The Greek culture was open to all things new and all things that were intriguing, particularly if it had any hint of mythology. And, of course, uh, they all were intrigued by the idea of Christ being raised from the dead. So, the Greek people of Galatia. Now, Galatia, as it is described here in the scriptures, is now the uh, southern part of Turkey, all right, the country of Turkey. Now, picture small groups of people who met in their homes, not in any large buildings, but in their homes, and they were very uh, devout, but they had very limited things to be devout about. Remember, when Paul established these churches, the only thing that he really preached was the importance of understanding Christ crucified, what it meant, and the fact that it was for our sins, our benefit, and it was the opening door to salvation. He did not have a lot of other prayers there were no other written scriptures yet uh, that is in the New Testament or what we would call from the New Testament. Yes, there were a lot of Jewish scriptures, but that brings up a point. Remember, for the first 15, 20, 25, maybe even 30 years after Christ, the people were not thinking about separating from Judaism. What they were trying to do was meld the new Christian teaching into Judaism and remain good and devout Jews. But because Judaism was so inclusive and Christianity was so exclusive... No, just the opposite. I'm sorry. Yeah. Judaism was so exclusive and Christianity was so inclusive, I knew there was something wrong with that, that, of course, over a period of time, and it didn't take a long time, before a clash began to be set up, particularly when Paul started to preach that the Mosaic Law was of no longer (coughs) any value. That just raised a lot of problems. All right, but nevertheless, he established churches throughout what we'll call now the uh, country of Turkey. And that was sometime in the past before this letter was written, roughly maybe five years or so. In those five years, he also traveled to many other uh, countries in the general region of the Mideast, East, establishing similar house churches now he gets word that the people in the churches in Galatia are beginning to revert back to Judaism even though they probably were not Jews in the first place most of these people were converts to Christianity from other religions or no religion right? But now somebody has infiltrated these small churches and is saying that unless they observe all of the rituals of Judaism and become good and faithful Jews, they cannot really be true Christians. And that Paul was wrong when he said that they could. In other words, these influencers or teachers, as this current writer is calling them, rather than Judaizers, as some of the other books call them. uh makes no difference what they're called. Uh, these people were probably sincere, probably uh, very uh, devout in themselves, but they were trying to be good Jews who were then also trying to meld in Christian influences. But they stuck to the idea that you had to be a good and faithful Jew in order to be a good and faithful Christian. And Paul had already established the fact that this was not the case. That people could come into and become Christian uh, without going through the Judy, Jewish the Jewish rite of circumcision. Now we're going to get into the meaning of circumcision in depth because it is a key to all of this letter. All right. But now, as I said, Paul is getting wind uh, of these people reverting back from what he taught them to being uh, faithful Jewish people. All right? And he said, you can't be both. He saw it far before any of the other apostles. And it set up a little bit of, a, you might say, a strain between Paul and the other apostles. And that's why he never spent a great deal of time with them. All right, It wasn't that they weren't on good terms, or uh, but it was that they saw things entirely different. Finally, Peter comes around after uh, some extraordinary visions where God tells him that the door is now open to all faiths, people of all kinds, and that the Jewish laws no longer apply. Alright? But, nevertheless, Peter and Paul never did quite see eye to eye, and so they remain far apart. Paul refers to some of this in Galatians and we'll get into that in the details all right. <clears throat> but it's important that you kind of understand where this clash is coming from and we're saying that it's about five years after uh, he established these churches in the first place that all of this took, uh, began to, do, to come back to him All right. Uh, now let us try to establish the time period. Unfortunately, none of Paul's letters are dated, nor is there any helpful information to really put them into any kind of context or give them a date. And of course, regardless of what the date would be, it wouldn't be a, um, in accordance with our calendar anyways. So we don't know, but we presume that from the time of Christ, which we will say approximately the year 30 AD, there took a great deal of time for Christianity to spread from Jerusalem all the way up to Galatia. So we're talking probably a good 10 years, maybe even 15 years. All right. so by the time Paul is really getting very adept at establishing all of these uh, house churches it could be as much as the year 50 so we're presuming that somewhere between the year 50 and 55 is when the time of this letter is written and it's not it is not written to a single church. It is written to all of the uh, house churches within the area of Galatia. So, that's kind of the scene. Now, I want to get into uh, the details here, and because we're only going to cover uh, two, possibly three chapters tonight, I want to go almost word for word Not that you haven't already read this, and I'm sure you have, of course. Yes. Yes. I'm trying, you said they have devout services. Yes. So now I'm trying to envision what these churches would be like. I would assume they would meet on the Sabbath. They would probably follow a synagogue concept of reading from the scriptures, and maybe they would have a breaking of the bread. Yes. Yes. So that, would be their... that would be all. And they would probably, uh, discuss the meaning of Christ's death and resurrection. Alright. Because that's all they had. But if they're reading from the
1: scriptures, you can see how they would begin to fall back into Judaism.
0: Mm, not necessarily. Not necessarily, because so many of the scriptures actually, uh, talk about, uh, the banquet of heaven and so forth which, of course, is uh, a metaphor for the same thing. So uh, I don't think that the scriptures alone would be drawing them back. Um, but nevertheless, and besides, many of these people were not Jewish to begin with, so they wouldn't have an in-depth understanding uh, and a lifelong acceptance of Jewish scripture, although they might begin to read it particularly from these other people that were coming in to influence them. So, good point. Diana, did you have a question? Oh, okay. (laughs)
1: What did Paul think about the Ten Commandments?
0: Oh, well, obviously, the Ten Commandments are given by God to all mankind. Oh, yes, yes. But the concept of the Jewish law, meaning the 613 laws in the Torah the first five books of the Bible okay that's what we're referring to alright John you had a question okay. alright any other questions Okay. let's get on now into the letter itself because there's so much here and I'm hoping to be able to give you a good basis for this because it is really the foundation <laughs> I feel it is the foundation letter to understanding all of Paul's letter. Remember, this is early in his ministry, which ran roughly 30 to 35 years. All right? And as I said before, uh, he was very arrogant. He was very brash. He was very determined that everybody should think the way he thought. And... He is very convincing. So, we've got to keep those kinds of things in mind. Greetings. Paul, an apostle, not from human beings, nor through a human being, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Now, remember, Paul did not just travel alone. He had a number of people that went with him. Um, We don't know exactly who these people were, but Barnabas was probably one of them, maybe Timothy, but that's about all. I doubt even with Timothy was there at this time. Now, the greeting in itself, if you compare this greeting to other Paul's letters, the other greetings are very flowery and all kinds of salutations and concerns and so forth. Uh, but this one, boy, he starts out right away. Remember, he's very angry. Right? And so he's not going to bother with the normal salutation or greeting uh, that a letter would otherwise have. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might rescue us from the present evil age. Uh, Present evil age he's not referring to anything specific as far as evil. It's that anything that was not in accordance with an understanding and acceptance of Jesus Christ dying for our sins and being raised from the dead on the third day would be considered almost evil to him. It is just the same kind of attitude that he had when he was still Jewish. Remember last week when I said that before he was converted through the being knocked off his horse and so forth and so on, Uh, That he was adamant that if you didn't believe in the Torah and observe every law within it, you were an enemy of Judaism. Now, he's taking the same attitude in Christianity. And unfortunately, human beings do not like to have religion rammed down their throats. And that's about what he's trying to do. Uh, But, He's got a little bit of authority behind him, and he's got the right information. Unfortunately, he has very little bedside manner. Mm-hmm. Okay. I am amazed that you are so quickly forsaken, forsaking the one who called you by the grace of of Christ, for a different gospel. In other words, he's addressing the problem right up front. He's talking about being amazed. He's sort of shaming or embarrassing these people uh, because they have forsaken him and all that he tried to teach them uh, for some other uh, form of, of religion that is trying to represent itself as an authority uh, on Christianity. But there are some who are disturbing you and wish to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than the one that I or we preach to you, let that one be accursed. Remember, where did Paul get his information? From God himself. Yes. From God himself in that spiritual revelation. So, he feels that if you don't accept what he says, you are going against God. Well, that might be right, except that you got to kind of see the other side of the coin. A lot of people, it takes time for them to understand and accept this. Uh, they can't just swallow it just because he said so. Mm-hmm. As we have said before, and now I say again, if anyone preaches to you a gospel other than the one that you receive, let that one be accursed. That's pretty strong language, but it's not uncommon in... Jewish circles or people of this kind.
1: Okay.
0: Well, we're talking to, uh, we're talking about very well educated people. Not necessarily wealthy people, but education in the Hellenistic countries, uh, was very important. Am I now curing favor with human beings or God? Am I seeking to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a slave of Christ. And that gives you a key to his thinking. He has absorbed and swallowed all of this to the point where he is a totally different person. He has now become a Christian to the point where everything else is meaningless to him. In fact, he says that in one of his letters. Okay. So you got to kind of keep that in mind. He is totally um, oblivious, really, to anything else. Yes, sir? Why the term slave, sir? I'm, I'm sorry?
1: Why the term slave?
0: I think it's because he's trying to really get people to see how deep he's really going. All right, there is quite a difference in this culture between a slave and a servant, and he's saying that he's going to the very depths of humanity to be a follower of Christ.
1: Servant, so you can walk away. They're slave. And
0: in 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 a way that that's a good uh, point, Norm. Um,
1: that's in
0: in this. Oh no no. In reference to St. Paul, yeah, because it's used in the gospel quite a bit mm-hmm. in Matthew, particularly. Yeah. It says now I want you to know, brothers. That the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human being, nor was I taught it. But it came through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now we went through this last week. And I hope that you read it between last week and now. But uh, it's important again to keep in mind where he got his information. Okay? It was not from the other apostles. Says, for you heard of my former way of life in Judaism, and now I persecuted, how I persecuted the Church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it, and progressed in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my race, since I was even more a zealot for my ancestral traditions, and now he's Come around to being exactly the same. For Christianity. But when God. Who from my mother's womb. Had set me apart. And called me through his grace. Was pleased to reveal his son to me. And obviously he revealed it. Not only in the event. Of being thrown from the horse. But in uh, the spiritual revelations. But let's stop for a minute and let me ask you a question. Why would God pick a person like this to represent him in preaching to the Gentiles?
1: He had a very strong will and was persecuting the church with a lot of zeal and a lot of effort. So he probably figured he turned that around
0: to Christ. That's a very good point, yes. His zeal was one thing. But he had a lot of other attributes, Gail. Well sort of, has we changed and the, and the other, sort of, to life, has a lot of weight in in making that, that point uh, to Well that's that's a very good point also, yes. One who has seen both sides of the fence and has really come around uh, to thinking totally new way, uh, but has been there, done that. Yeah, that's a very good point, and that's what we'll use. Yes, he was a Roman citizen, he was a Jew, uh, and he had Roman citizenship. He was well ed- educated in both sides, so he could speak two or three languages. All right, so he had a lot of attributes that the other apostles did not have very much an intellectual yes yes Frank very much so. in fact he says so right in here. He was no he was a Pharisee, but he was a zealot in his yeah, in, in his approach right mm-hmm. yeah. very much a Pharisee. yes, Maria well that's it. God picks unusual people to do these special jobs. If you go back into the Old Testament, you'll see a number of people like that, such as Moses, for example. Moses was raised in the Pharaoh's household. Moses killed a man. Then he became a shepherd, sort of on the lamb, pardon the expression. <laughs> uh, because he killed uh, an Egyptian. And so you would think, you know, there's kind of a shady character who's running from authority, who lived on both sides of the fence, and yet um, God chose him for one of the most influential uh, beings in the whole Old Testament. So you have a number of, of people like that throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. Look at even John the Baptist it was a little strange, you know. Anybody that eats locusts and wild honey, you know, uh, of course, you know, no Big Macs in those days. Okay. All right, let's go on. <clears throat> Right, uh, let's see, we're at 15. But when God, who from my mother's womb, in other words, this was part of God's plan, uh, in God's plan of salvation, long before Paul was born, had set me apart and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might proclaim him to the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. Rather, I went to Arabia and then returned to Damascus. Remember, the Acts of the Apostles gives us the impression that immediately after being uh, cured of his blindness of three days and being baptized, that he gets up in Damascus and starts preaching. Well, that isn't quite the case. Uh, and this is the answer uh, to that. He didn't go immediately out and start preaching because he didn't have the information. And so he went to Arabia and had this vision that is described in Second Corinthians. It says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. So he preached in Damascus after the time in Arabia. So we're talking a couple years in that area, Damascus. And now it says after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. So we're talking at least three years after his conversion and possibly more. You have to go by these kinds of hints because there is no other way to establish a timetable. Okay. But I did not see any other of the apostles. Only James and the brother of the Lord. Only James, the brother of the Lord. As as to what I am writing to you, behold, before God I am not lying. He's defending himself. And he does this quite a bit through the first part of Galatians here. And then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was unknown personally to the churches of Judah or Judea and, uh, that are in Christ. They only kept hearing that the one who once was persecuting us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. So they glorified God because of me. Hopefully they glorified God not so much because of him, but because of his change in attitude. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well.
0: No, I think that's, (laughs) I think that's very part of his personality. He is arrogant, but it's interesting. As I said last week, when you read all of his letters you'll find that once he gets to the letter to Philippians, he changes dramatically in that respect. Uh, Philippians is almost exclusively about humility. And I think he finally realizes that he could use a big dose of humility himself. And then the letters after that are much softer. Yes, Gail?
1: Oh, i didn't want to say that much. But it uses different words and it approaches it slightly softer. Okay. So, you know, what does it say? Oh, uh
0: huh. Oh, uh-huh. And it uses when it, it says, and just a matter of and they praise God because of me, which is a softer way of sort of saying that, like
1: that.
0: Oh, okay. Sure. So it could be a Could be. Sure. No, but I don't think so. I really don't think so. He was very arrogant. Uh and it shows throughout the the early letters. Yes. No, let's see. So they glorify because of God as new. Uh
1: probably the could put that is doesn't mean what I what I taught. Because of what I taught. Yes.
0: Yes. That's a good way of putting it, Nora. Yes. If we add uh they glorified God because of me And what I taught uh, is, I think, probably the correct approach, but that's not what it says. Okay. The Council of Jerusalem. I'm going to go through this rather quickly. We've talked about this before, and it's explained in far more detail in chapter 15 of the Acts of the Apostles. It says, Then after 14 years... 14 years, now we don't know whether what point the 14 years began. Was this from his conversion or was this from his return to Damascus? We're talking uh, perhaps uh, as much as five years there. Okay. Then after 14 years, I went again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. So there we had talked about some of the people that were with him right from the beginning. And it is suggesting that Barnabas and Titus were among those. I went up in accord with a revelation. And I presented to them the gospel that I preached to the Gentiles. But privately uh, to those of repute. So that I might not be running or having run in vain. Now we're not quite sure what he's talking about here as far as repute there. Moreover not even Titus who was with me although he was a great Greek was compelled to be circumcised but because of the false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy on our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus that they might enslave us. Here's, here's the story these same people that were disturbing the Galatians about having to be part of and observe the Jewish ritual of circumcision has gotten out throughout the land. And it had to come down to a decision of all of the major Christians, the major people in Christianity. And that was uh, Peter, James, John, primarily, and any of the other apostles that wanted to be there, and Titus, Timothy, uh, and uh, Barnabas, as well as Paul. And the whole subject had to be discussed and worked out, because circumcision was no longer required in Christian rites. But let's go and talk about the whole idea of circumcision in the Jewish context. All right? It was not just a medical procedure, so let's forget that altogether. All right? It was an act of faith. More so, it was an act of commitment. When a person became a Jew, uh, he or well he because obviously females were not circumcised uh, although they go through a ceremony now but they didn't at this time so it was the males who were circumcised but again it was the actual act of circumcision in itself was a shedding of blood because it was a commitment to God through Moses and the Torah. And once you made that commitment, particularly as adult, you were bound in faith and conscience to observe the laws of the Torah, the 613 Jewish laws, and you became a Jew in mind, body, soul, and spirit. It invaded your entire life. And that is the way it should be. However, however, with the rejection of the Jewish leaders of Christ and putting him to death, God withdrew the whole idea of accepting this commitment by the Jewish people and opened the door to Christianity or to people who accepted Christ as Lord and Savior and turned the whole thing around to baptism and that is the primary reason why Christ was baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist remember baptism was not something new it was available in Jewish circles as a pious uh, act of personal repentance it was not a Jewish rite per se it was just a pious sub act but Jesus took that and elevated it to a very high level replacing circumcision with the sacrament of baptism and there again it is a vow of accepting God through Jesus Christ and again when we commit ourselves in baptism to Christ we really dedicate our mind our heart, soul and body to Jesus Christ his teachings and his church in fact we make ourselves almost like slaves For Christ. It is that. Important. Baptism is the second most. Important of all the seven sacraments. The first of course. Always being. The celebration of the Eucharist. But baptism. Is the second most important. By far. And that is why. It is a commitment. To God through Jesus Christ. And why so we are dedicating our entire life to Christ. And if people truly understood that, hopefully it would be more meaningful to them than a little ceremony of sprinkling water on the kid's forehead and go home and have a big party. Unfortunately, that's the way it turns out most of the time today. And it's totally forgotten. I've asked Deacon Carl, who's in charge of the uh, baptism ministry here uh, for new converts uh, or babies. And he says half the time uh, you don't see them after that. You don't see the families uh, at all. It's unfortunate. That's because they really don't take it seriously. They don't understand, and they don't try to understand what it's all about. There are some lessons that they have to take, and they go through, well, matter of fact, and, you know, can't wait to get it over with, and life goes on. Yes, Chet? Alright, let, let us, let us go on. This, this whole council of Jerusalem was settled, uh, but not after a real struggle, uh, between <laughs> Uh, Peter and Paul, but they finally did come to a consensus that, that, that circumcision was not required uh, for converts from other uh, religions into Christianity and Jewish people if they were not circumcised did not have to be circumcised. Alright, so let's go on with that. There is another time when Paul and Peter got into a confrontation. And that is here uh, in verse 11. It says, And when Cephas, who, which is another name for Peter, uh, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he was clearly wrong. For until some people came from James, he, Peter, used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he began to draw back and separated himself because he was afraid of the circumcised, that is the Jewish people who became Christians, but saw that, Paul, that Peter now was eating with Gentiles, which was against Christian, uh, was against Jewish rules. Alright? One of the Jewish laws. So, Peter's sort of straddling the fence here in front of former Jewish people, uh, he's sort of playing both sides of the fence. And Paul takes uh, offense of that and confronts Peter directly. As the rest of the Jews also actually acted hypocritically along with him with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by the hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not on the right road, in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of all, if you, though a Jew, are living like a Gentile, and not like a Jew, how can you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? And, you know, that's an argument that really has no answer. okay? Because there is no answer under Christ. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles, remember uh, Paul considered anybody who was not a Jew, was who was a Gentile, was an infidel and a sinner prior to his conversion. Yet, who knows that a person is not justified by works of the law but through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, there is a... Well, let me go on just a little bit here. Even if we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, this is where Paul gets into a lot of trouble. Okay? He's beginning to pull apart or tear apart the whole concept of the Torah. Right. Now there is sort of a a difference of opinion between christian and catholic scholars here on a couple of these words here where it says in verse 16 yet who know who know that a person is not justified by works of the law but through faith Instead of saying in Jesus Christ, it says faith of Jesus Christ. In other words, our faith comes from the man God, Jesus Christ. So that would render this faith of Christ and what Christ did through the Father and the Holy Spirit. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus That we may be justified by faith, by the faith of Christ, and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. All right. What he's saying here is that by observing laws in themselves, you cannot be saved. You cannot truly go to heaven. Because works or rather laws in themselves, can only tell you where you've gone wrong or what you've done right. They cannot lift you to a higher level. It is only faith through Christ and of Christ that can do that through his death and resurrection. And that's the sole point that Paul is teaching the death and resurrection of Christ and what it has done for mankind. But if, in seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves are found to be sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? Of course not. But if I am building up again those things that I tore down, Then I show myself to be a transgressor. Well, that's a point he's trying to make, and it takes a while for him to resolve it. For though the law, for through the law, I died to the law, that I might live for God. In other words, he gave himself so much to the law. That he might live for God, but he forgot God in his zeal. In persecuting Christians, he actually went against the law. Because the law always said love of God and love of neighbor. It never said in any way, shape, or form that you were to persecute the infidels. Now I have been crucified with Christ, yet. I live, no longer I, but Christ lives in me. Insofar as I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God. All right, now what he's saying here is that he has taken on a whole new life. And that the old life as a devout, zealot Jew is gone, is dead. He is now alive Only in the fact that his body is alive because it serves the purpose of God. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if justification comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. And that's right. If we have salvation through observing laws, then we didn't need Christ. But the point is, salvation does not come from observing the laws. Salvation comes only from accepting the benefits derived from the death and resurrection of Christ. And living according to the teachings of Christ thereafter. In showing that we have accepted the teachings of Christ and appreciate what he has done for us. I want to go down to the uh, commentary on page 17 here that picks up this same comment here. It says in the third issue grammar and Christology hold hands. Is the Greek genitive hmm, don't ask me to pronounce that. Um well yeah subjective or author subjective or authorial for years scholars have taken it to be objective and that is faith in jesus christ and here we're getting back to what i said before on the previous page a more appealing interpretation is to take this genitive to be subjective that is, the faithfulness that Jesus Christ manifested in his death and on the cross for us is what really saved us. Okay, Not our faith in Christ, but the faith that Jesus had in the Father in accepting the sacrifice that he made on the cross. And the Father showed that acceptance by how? The resurrection, yes. Well, that's true. If, if we do not, if we do not accept the fact that the Father showed his approval of what Christ did by the resurrection and do not believe in the resurrection, then our faith is worthless, is dead, just as you pointed out. Yeah, uh, because we are We're accepting something that has no way to validate it. And that's because we've rejected the validation. Are you you all sort of on the the same page and thinking about what we've just said now? Salvation cannot come from laws. Laws in themselves can only tell you what you've done right or wrong. Mostly wrong. All right? So, salvation can only come from a gift. And the gift is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, of his own free will. And when we accept that, then we participate in the benefits extended to us in this gift of salvation. And furthermore, we can see that this gift was accepted and validated as relieving mankind of sin by the resurrection of Christ. Maria. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Where Where are you? He's
1: on the commentary. He said he's preaching a law-free gospel. Well. And law, and the law itself are not revealing. But over the hundreds of years, the church has certainly established law after law after law. So are, we're not discounting the, the merit of laws, are we?
0: No, no. But we don't. Laws
1: can't save us, but then uh, if we don't obey certain laws of the church, we can be excommunicated.
0: Laws so, are for structure. Laws are not an end in themselves.
1: Okay, but if you're excommunicated, then the law is acting in a way that
0: well, if you're ex-
1: denies you redemption. If you're
0: excommunicated, it is because you rejected certain dogmas of the church. Those are not laws. Okay, laws. Okay. They're beliefs. Okay? Big difference. But your point is right. The laws that the church has set up are structural laws for guidance. We do not worship the laws. All right? That's very important to understand. There's a big difference. The Jewish people actually felt that they were honoring God by worshiping the very act of what they were doing, whatever law it was they were observing. And that isn't the case. We do not worship our laws. They are all for our guidance. <clears throat> I want to go on to chapter 3 um, a little bit anyways, because it becomes rather heavy, and uh, I'm not sure we have enough time, but let's, uh, let's take a stab at it. Justification by faith. This is an extension of the same concepts that we've been talking about, okay? Now if he's saying to these Galatians, oh stupid Galatians, see, still arrogant, still beating the path here, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. I want to learn only this from you. Did you receive the Spirit from works of the law? Or from faith in what you heard? In, in Romans, he tells us that faith comes through what is heard, and what is heard comes from preaching, and it goes on and on, all right? And so he's making the same point here. You will find that there is uh, a fair amount of duplication in these two letters because he's writing to totally different people uh, and for different reasons, but his message is really the same. Paul never deviates. He never talks about the same things that Christ did or the other apostles do in the Gospels uh, with one or two exceptions, and that is love. But he doesn't get around to that uh, for quite a while. Okay. I want. Uh, let's see. Are you so stupid? After beginning with the spirit, are you now ending with the flesh? You see, the whole idea of the Torah was sort of a earth-based or flesh-based concept. The whole first covenant was really uh, a very primitive idea of what God eventually wanted to bring about through his chosen people. Again, the first covenant made with Abraham and renewed down through the line um, all the way. In fact, he brings up Abraham right here. uh, Was... Descendants, land, and protection. Protection in in many different respects, all right? From wars and guidance and so forth and so on. Which he followed through repeatedly, even though they rejected his uh, laws, rejected much of what uh, he he tried to teach them through the patriarchs and the prophets through Moses and so forth and so on, uh, he's still protecting those people all the way up until the time of Christ. Okay, <clears throat> But the point that Paul is making here is, did the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, come to you while you were studying the law and observing and worshipping the law? No. No. First of all, the Holy Spirit was not released until after the death and resurrection of Christ on the first Pentecost Sunday. Uh, But the Holy Spirit does not come by observing laws. It comes by faith. Are you so stupid? After beginning with the Spirit, that is, after the Spirit has come to be in you and with you through baptism, are you now reverting back to the flesh, that is, the teachings of the Torah, did you experience so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, does then the one who supplies the Spirit to you, that is, Christ only, and works mighty deeds among you, do so from the works of the law, or from faith in what you heard? And obviously it cannot be through the law. And that's what he's trying to get them to see. Thus Abraham, and he's going back to appeal to the early days of Judaism. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Realize then that it is those who have faith who are the children of Abraham. And, of course, Jesus makes the same point uh, in one of the Gospels, and the uh, Jewish people are very much offended by that, okay, because they feel that only the Jewish people, remember, they're very exclusive. It was only the Jewish people that were the true chosen people and the people of God, and Jesus saying, no, not any longer, all right. Those who have faith, faith in Jesus Christ, who are the true children of Abraham. Scripture, which saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, foretold the good news uh, to Abraham, saying, through you shall all the nations be blessed. And consequently, those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham who had faith. Remember, at the time of Abraham, there wasn't any laws. There wasn't any Torah. There was nothing written down in the way uh, for Jewish people to follow. They followed their own tribal conditions um, and customs, but there was nothing written. The only thing that they had was a belief in the one true God and they took it from there so what was Abraham to observe? He couldn't worship any laws because there weren't any but when God asked him to take uh, all of his family and flocks and possessions etc and move from the land of Ur to uh, what is now Palestine or Israel Abraham did so And can you imagine picking up your whole household and bank accounts and everything and moving to a place that you never heard of and didn't really know where it was, but you knew that you were going to be led there somehow? Can you imagine doing that? And yet Abraham did it because he had faith in the one true God. And that was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, Holiness. And so what Paul is trying to do is point out that if they were true children of God they should accept God on the basis of faith and not on the basis of written laws most of which were written by mankind. And so, he's really kind of putting the screws to them, pardon the expression, uh, with a little bit of shame. It says, Cursed be anyone who does not persevere in doing all the things written in the book of the law. So, again, let me back up a little bit here. Realize, I'm going to back up to verse 7. Realize then that it is, that is, it is those who have faith who are the children of Abraham. Scripture, which saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, foretold the good news to Abraham, saying, Though you sh- Through you shall all the nations be blessed. And they were. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham who had faith. For all who depend on works of the law are under a curse. For the law can only tell you what you've done wrong. For it is written, Cursed be anyone who does not persevere in doing all the things written in the book of the law. So if you don't fulfill all of the 613 uh, Jewish laws, then you are cursed. Well, what person could really do that? And do it correctly, and do it out of love. Ah, oh, it's impossible, and that's what he's trying to point out. And that no one is justified before God by the law, by the law is clear. No one is justified before God by the law. And that is clear. For the one who is righteous by faith will live. But the law does not depend on faith. Rather, the one who does those things will live by them and unfortunately die by them. Christ ransomed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed be anyone who hangs on a tree. He's saying really Christ absorbed all of our faults, failures, sins, and misgivings, etc. and did away with the law because he was perfect in himself and in his perfection he was able to do what mankind could not do otherwise. Mm -hmm. That being the blessing of Abraham might be extended to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Let us stop there because this is heavy stuff, and it is really the beginning of Paul's great dissertation on justification by faith, which we will get into a lot more in the letter to the Romans. All right, Justi- justification. The word justification, which we don't hear in Catholic circles that much, really means that we are are on the right road. It does not mean sanctification. All right. Please get that straight. We often hear about sanctification. The word justification does not mean sanctification, but it means you're on the road towards sanctification. All right. None of us are sanctified, well, with, with a few exceptions. Uh, I'm not talking about myself this time. Okay. Uh, but there are a few saints, you might say, uh, that were known to be saints even before they died, but very few. okay? But the whole idea of justification through faith is one of the great uh, theological uh, gifts in a way that Paul has given us. And it is something that we really have to understand because it also uh, preceded the teaching on the whole idea of the gift of faith through Jesus Christ preceded God's withdrawal of the first covenant in 70 AD. Remember after the, resur- the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there was a period of approximately 40 years between that time period and the destruction of the temple. And I often used to wonder when I was first teaching, well, why did God wait so long? And the whole idea is God gave mankind, the Jewish people particularly, 40 years to change their minds and see the benefit of what Christ did for them. And after 40 years if they didn't really wake up then he withdrew withdrew the first covenant. And that was signified by the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. Primarily the temple. Because the temple, in the mind of the Jewish people, was God's presence among them. They used to worship the temple, again, a building, rather than God within the temple. That's because they felt that God was sort of housed in the temple. Not anywhere else. They didn't believe that God was within them. And they said, well, God was in the temple. Whenever they went to the temple, they were just holier than thou. But the moment they stepped outside, they were back again to their good old self. Uh, and as we know, that's not the case. God cannot be housed or kept isolated in any one physical location. He is everywhere. And so that's no longer necessary. And so the destruction of the temple, never to be rebuilt, and the destruction of Jerusalem was the sign of God's disfavor with the Jewish people for their rejection of Christ after all of the effort that was put in over 2,000 years of trying to prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. And they even looked forward to the Messiah But when he stood there in their presence, they rejected him. And to add insult to injury, they cried out, We have no king but Caesar. That is probably the greatest insult that they could issue. We have no king but Caesar. And they did that in the face of the Messiah standing right there in front of them. Well, in that culture, any close relative was listed as brother or sister. Uh, it did not have to be biological brother. And you'll see that throughout all of, uh, the New Testament writings. So who, who did they, who did
1: they,
0: uh, assume that they is? A close how rel- how relative. A close you? relative. And that's yeah, as close okay. as you can get. Yeah. It did they not
1: have, they did not have a word
0: for cousin? I don't, I really don't know. I doubt it, I doubt it. Because if you think about, uh, Queen, uh, I mean, uh, Queen Elizabeth, uh, <laughs> Saint Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, it's all, she's often referred to as Mary's cousin. Well, when you think about the age difference, uh, it probably was not her mother's cousin in the way we think of first cousins because if she was an elderly lady, she might have been a relationship to Mary's mother but that would not make her a cousin, you see Uh, it might make her an aunt or something else but we use the word cousin uh, simply because we don't really know All but uh, as far as James is concerned, uh, the brother of the Lord is often used, but it's probably in reference to a close relative. Through and, Mary yes, through Mary somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Any other, uh, yes Steve? Despite all the references of brothers and sisters of the Lord, nowhere does scripture indicate that those were children of Mary. That's right. And the church, in fact, uh, is very emphatic, that Mary did not have any other children. And I wrote a rather uh, very clear paper on that. And if you would like copies, I will bring some in next week. All right? Uh, it doesn't really say much, except that it goes through the meaning of the Immaculate Conception, which preceded that, and then the assumption, and by virtue of those two, through a hypothesis, it says... Then because of the reasons for the Immaculate Conception and the Virgin Bird, Mary had no other children. And the church has always taught that. Okay. Uh, John? Go back to the beginning where he talks about the stupid Galatians who he wished to, before whose eyes Jesus Christ is probably portrayed as crucified. Ever someone speak about that once a uh, they had a, Paul
1: gave them a
0: vision of Christ being crucified. cross. that's that's no. the way they interpreted this. Oh no 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 no, publicly displayed. In other words, remember many of these Jews, many of these people in Galatia traveled all over because they were fairly well off, well educated, and probably many of them saw the crucifixion event. Uh, and, of course, it was spread, you know, by word of mouth throughout the whole territory. And, uh, you know, the Road to Emmaus story in Luke's gospel is a real clear evidence of that. And so everybody knew about it. So it was not something that was only known to the few people in Jerusalem. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone else have a question? Oh, so.
1: On that scripture there, we think about um, what we see every Sunday. We see Christ, Christ every Sunday.
0: That's right. Yeah. In, in, the, in the Mass. In the whole idea of the Mass. Uh, in fact, the the chaplet of the Divine Mercy has a prayer that says, Father, I lift up to you the body and blood of your divine Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in atonement for our sins and the sins of all mankind. Okay? That's exactly the essence of the Mass. We lift up the body and blood of Christ as a thanksgiving offering to the Father for his divine generosity in sending his divine Son to be the sacrificial lamb that we talked about earlier, uh, to pay the price for the sins of all mankind, because it is something that mankind could not do solely on his own. Would Matthew's Gospel have gotten to the Galatians by this time? Uh, probably not. Probably not. Because most of the Gospels were written after most of the letters of uh, Paul. Paul's letters were the first of the new scriptures, the New Testament scriptures to be written.
1: Not all of them.
0: There's an overlapping in time, but we don't know just what that time period is. But most of Paul's first letters preceded any of the Gospels. And of course, as you know, because they had to be copied, uh, to be disseminated throughout the land, it took a long time. So no, there was probably no other uh, what we call New Testament writings available to the Galatians uh, at this time. Yeah. Any other questions? Well, I hope you can see a little bit of what we're getting into. It's not an easy subject, but I hope you find it interesting. If you want not find it interesting, you better... <laughs> right, uh, let's end with a prayer. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for so many graces and blessings. Help us now as we go forward in the discussion and study of Galatians and then into Romans that we are inspired to see what it is you want us to see. Help us now to apply a lot of what we are reading to ourselves today. We are in the midst of an evil nation and evil circumstances in general society today. Help us then to see how much of this can help us avoid some of the pitfalls that we see all around us. So we ask your blessing on our efforts, uh, not only tonight, through the next few weeks, but throughout our life, that we might remain faithful to you and partake of the salvation that you gave us through Christ Jesus. So we thank you for this time together. We thank you and praise you in all things.
1: In Jesus' name.